Blog Talk Radio. episode of The Tipping Point, where we're going to pay tribute to Paul Adams. And uh, I'm really excited. I know Larry is a combination of excited and exhausted and frazzled, but it is all coming together. I mean, I just got to, I was going to throw it out there, Larry. 30 minutes ago or so, we didn't really have a show. (laughs) um, But through um, some great um, happenstance, as well as uh, Larry busting his ass the last half hour, we've managed to put together what I think is going to be a really wonderful tribute to Paul Adams. How are you doing tonight, Larry? We can only hope that it will be that it will work out well. But I'm really, I'm really happy that that people are able to call in. I think it was really just for some folks it was tough getting this together schedule-wise. But um, sure, we got some int- we got some folks who knew Paul from later in his career and early in his career, and um, yeah, I think this should be um, fun. Um, I was, you know, I was particularly happy, you know, we would have loved to have, I mean, I'll I'll put it out there because that's what I do. I I would have loved to have Burt Prentice on here, but, um, you know, Paul Adams, I I think people need to realize, especially if you didn't know who he was and what he meant to wrestling, not just in uh, Tennessee, but in general, um, a lot of people were very close to Paul. He was that kind of personality. Um, he was, he was the guy that was very outlandish on the surface, but very caring behind it. And, you know, people were going to react in grief a number of different ways. And this didn't happen all that long ago. So I certainly don't blame Burt Prentice for not wanting to be on, but I'm, I'm really thrilled that David Young is going to be on. I think, uh, you know, that's, that's his best pal. And I'm just looking forward to what he has to say. And uh, a number of other people are, who are going to call in. Larry, do you, do you have a list of people that are going to call? And I mean, what does that tell you that you were able to just mobilize people on the instant that were happy to talk about Paul Adams well, and be a, a lot part of, about of it? Paul, I mean, we, we, we've got, we actually, we have a, we have an early run-in call right now. Um, joining us what? from the West coast, Dan Masters. Oh my God. <laughs> Well, I'm not I'm not running very far, but unless the authorities are on the line. But uh, I think when Vordo Walker took me to saw the sawmill, the legendary popcorn machine was uh, short circuiting the lights. But I first met Paul Adams that day, <laughs> and I and I asked him, I said, "Well, what's going on? Why does the power keep going out?" He said, "Every time someone goes to the concession and buys a bag of popcorn, they throw it in the microwave, and the entire production shuts down for 30 seconds." Cameras, lights, everything. That's true. <laughs> he says, that's just what we've got to work with. But don't worry, you'll have your money at the end of the night. We had a good time. Paul was always great. He would, you know, take us out after. 
we traditionally would have a good time on the way to Nashville from Savannah, which is about an eight-hour trip. So by the time we got there, I think Paul knew and we knew that we may not be the best for a corporate operation doing television on a national level. Somehow Paul got that and afforded it to us. And he always said when that red light comes on, both of these guys do business. Now when the light's not on, can't count on them. But Paul was always great to us and so much so that when Marquez asked me, he said, do you know anyone in Tennessee? I've got a show I want to put on. I said, there's only one person I can think of for you to do business with, and that's Paul Adams. So that's how they hooked up and started doing their thing. Mm. How did you hook up with Paul Adams, Dan? Vordell asked me, he said, do you want to go to Nashville? I'm going to Nashville to work for a guy. I think he'll pay you something. I said, okay, I'm up for the ride. <laughs> I got to really know him that night when we uh, we were out till 5 a.m. And I ended up with no clothes on, and they saved me in the streets of Nashville. It was always a good time. Paul never let us down. You know, there's a lot of wrestling promoters. You go work for them, and they let you down. They may have you drive yeah. eight hours, and you end up leaving with nothing. But Paul, not only did he give us the funds to get there and back, but an open tab, a meal, and the coverage. I mean, Larry, you could probably expand on it, but Paul got the television from Nashville to air seemingly around the world at one point, right? Yeah, that damn thing aired in Long Island, New York, for a while, and uh, they had quite a they got a, quite a healthy viewership at one point in time. And some international distribution that he personally yeah. put together. And if you think about it, I was watching some stuff on YouTube, Paul Adams was like a part of that disastrous, what was that pay-per-view where he managed the Samoans? It's on there. Heroes of I mean, Wrestling. He really, yeah, Heroes of Wrestling. But if you really look around, I mean, Paul did a lot of things people, they just wouldn't know, you know? Yeah, and we're... I was watching the NWA guests... Power program before this call, and I can tell you he would have been an ace for that. I mean, could you imagine would him you? behind the scenes or on camera with the NWA today? Oh, yes. What an asset he would have been for them. Yeah, yeah. He would have been a perfect kid. Yeah. So we'll miss Paul Adams, you know? Yeah. Really well. well. I look forward to hearing the rest of the night's calls and and uh, and thinking about the great times we had together. Cause, wow. I can't think of a bad time I ever had with Paul, that's for sure. Thanks for calling <laughs> in, Dan. Thank for you. Yeah, Dan, it was awesome. It was amazing. Thanks. Yep, naked um, in the streets some, of Nashville. So anyway, let's. Uh, <laughs> you were saying. I mean, I mean, is there is there is right now that's leading for the uh, Paul Adams biography title, "Naked in the Streets of Nashville: The Paul Adams Story." Uh, we'll see if anybody comes up with anything better throughout the night. <laughs> well, the, you know, the thing of it is, is it, it, uh, after Paul died and people began posting this that and the other it just brought up back all these memories like like what he just said like oh there was that and there was that and there was that and there was that it was quite a uh scene there was the night in uh oh they taped in this town near nashville god i don't even know how they went up there uh dash wilder was at the taping and everybody went to a bar afterwards and we're all in the bar and while we're in the bar some guy, somebody, breaks into their truck, steals all the footage they just shot. <laughs> 
<gasps> they lost the whole nights of footage. Some <laughs> while while everybody was in there drinking, just crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, Something that I was taken with in your, by the way, if you have not read um, Larry's Paul Adams tribute, it's gorgeous. Um, it's gwhnewsandnotes.blogspot.com. You should be going there anyway, but um, especially to read that. Something that I thought was really notable, and I'm glad that you put it in there for it's something that you had told me, and I'm glad you put it in there, was that, I mean, so, so did, they, did they bring him up to Stanford recently? To talk about something? So the last time I talked to Paul, he said he'd been there to a meeting. I wasn't, um, you know, about some type of a job um, to talk to them. They had contacted him back in January and then called him again, and he was concerned about whether or not his back, because he did have, you know, really bad, bad back problems going back a long way. Yeah. He wasn't sure if he was going to be able to, it was, it was going to involve travel. I assume it was in production. And but you know he was real happy that they even contacted him because he'd been out of wrestling for a while. Right. I mean, but this is the age um, in pro wrestling. I think where people are finding out, like any kind of touchstone you can have to legitimacy. Um, right now, it's a credibility fight. It's about market share and a and a credibility battle. You know, AEW. Uses Tully and Arn in this great way possible. The NWA knocks it out of the park doing studio tapings that take you back 30, 40 years, right? Like mm. everything is about authenticity right now. I think that's the thing that nobody's really talking about. And it doesn't surprise me in the least. Can you find production people to do whatever in all kinds of fields? Of course you can. So why do you want Paul Adams? I can only imagine you want a link to authenticity. And uh, he had that in spades. I was, I was going to ask Stan Masters and didn't get to, but I mean, people like Paul Adams, those kind of, kind of like crazy guys that still managed to have it together and were able to just, you know, they were equal parts snake oil salesmen and, you know, <laughs> carnival barkers and everything else. I, those those guys are going. Those guys are disappearing. And Paul Adams, I mean, it's no shock that a number of people feel very strongly about him and have such great stories. Well, the, yeah, this, what what Dan said about the power going out at the sawmill when they ran the popcorn machine, uh, when they ran the, ran the microwave. I mean, Paul was one of those was one of those guys you'd want who could do a little bit of everything. And when when Mike Henry comes on later, he'll talk about you know the stuff from the Northeast, but. He could do a little bit of everything and always had to piece things together uh, by hook or by crook to get things done, you know. And so um, he was a really good guy if you wanted somebody who had who could improvise. Who, who are our guests going to be, by the way? We didn't get a chance because Dan called in, and I thought Dan calling in was perfectly timed. Um, so we have Mike Henry, and so we talked about him, and David Young. Um, who else is going to come uh-huh. in? And uh, Scott Hensley. Awesome. Uh, and and saw TV announcer Michael Graham. Man, oh man, oh man. Mm. Um, some something that I I told you I was going to tell you reactions that I got to the piece that you wrote, and one of them I won't necessarily put names out there, um, but this person said that, and I thought, oh God, you know, it was very touching. They said, you know. 
all I could think of when I was reading what Larry wrote was that Paul Adams would have loved to have read it. And they said, like, I hope that somebody will write something about me that's anywhere close to that good. And I thought, man, that's about the highest praise that you can give. I, you know, I'm big on those kind of uh, memorial essays. Um, Dave Meltzer has written a ton of great ones. It's the only reason I kept up an observer <laughs> subscription, honestly. And uh, I, I think Mike Moonahan writes beautiful ones. And you wrote one for Paul Adams. I mean, I, and you know, that's if if that's your if that's your like holy trinity of uh, wrestling um, writers, obituary wise. I mean, you could you couldn't do much better than that. So. It was just, it was really stellar. Uh, I think it it really walked the line of maybe you didn't know him, so I'm going to introduce him to you. But also, and if you did know him, then you know here's here's stuff that you may not have known. So I thought it really had something for everybody, no matter how much or how little you knew Paul Adams. It really gave it a nice, complete picture of him, in you know without going on and on and on. So it was very, very effective. Thank you. And I I will tell you, it was therapeutic for me um, to write it. Um, I, you know, I'll I'll say that this certainly touched me and it it, it touched me that Paul died. It touched me in a different way since, you know, the reason I've been away from doing any of these shows for a while is that my brother passed away under very difficult circumstances. So Hmm. just in general, I've been like dealing a little bit more, not a little bit more, a lot more with death. Um, so I think that, um, and the other thing is that, you know, I really wouldn't have been able to do that, uh, piece. It, what part of what really got me going on it was, to, was the um, online conversation I had with our first guest, Mike Henry, who told me, you know, all kinds of things about Paul's early years that I didn't know. Um, and that really kind of helped me, you know, bring it together. Um, and maybe, um, Maybe this is a good time. He's on the line now. Maybe we should maybe just bring him on. Absolutely. Yeah, let's bring him on, please. Okay. If, okay, I think we got him. Mike Evening, Henry, welcome gentlemen, to the how are you? Point. Evening, gentlemen. How are you? Oh, good evening. Good evening. Mike, I'm, I'm going to – my name's Stephen, by the way. I am, um, I'm just going to ask you a question right off the jump just to get us kick-started. So what's um, so if somebody said to you, like, I just I I, I don't know who Paul Adams, like give, give just give me you know I don't know who Paul Adams is at all <laughs> I I mean give me give me a story that succinctly kind of like <laughs> to you sort of really encapsulates him in this in a great way. Oh my God, um, where do I start? <laughs> 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 Um, well, I heard you guys talk earlier about Paul being on the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view. Yes. Well, originally, Bill Stone, who was the producer of the show, didn't want Paul on the show. Um, he was saying that, uh, why would we want to have somebody on here that's not a legend? So, of course, um, at the time, Michael O'Brien wanted a old school type manager and we got Paul on and Paul worked with us from the beginning of Northeast wrestling. So everybody 
at that show had a specific job. And, um, of course, if you knew how that pay-per-view went with disasters, um, it was crazy. But yeah. Paul Paul was um, in charge of booking the Samoans, which at the time we had Rikishi and Samu on the show. And um, the Samoans come in gangs. They come with family. So the kids come, the relatives come, everybody comes. Um, so we had a gaggle of Samoans at the pay-per-view. Now, everybody was staying at the hotel, and it was Paul's duty to make sure that, you know, everybody got their tickets for the show, for the kids, and everybody else. So it was the day of the show. Paul did his match. And um, all of a sudden, we were on the headsets, and we hear Bill Stone say, there is a problem at the buffet at the hotel at Casino Magic. The Samoan family is tearing apart the buffet. <laughs> so, so, so um, I'm like, okay, and Michael is like, okay, and so we had to call Paul. And he had to go straighten out the situation at the buffet. Let's put it to you this way. We didn't see him for the rest of the show. (laughs) There's plenty of um, times with Paul. Um, I first met Paul or knew about Paul from his newsletter, The Examiner, back in the day. I was a newsletter reader for Meltzer, of course, and I go back to from the mid-'80s, early early to mid-'80s. So I always saw his name in the reader's page to try to trade tapes. And then a few years later, he started uh, his own newsletter. So I got his newsletter at the time, and that's how I first knew of him. Oh, cool. Larry, did you have any questions? Yeah, I was fascinated, Mike, by your talking about the Clementon, New Jersey shows for Sharp, Larry Sharp, and Dennis Corluzzo. Could you give us kind of a flavor of what that was like doing those shows? Um, It was – the shows were, like, very, you know, independent shows, of course. Um, Both Larry and Dennis were crazy. uh, Larry was a stickler, and Dennis was Dennis Corluzzo. If you ever knew Dennis Corluzzo, um, those Clementon shows had a lot of great talent on them at the time. Um, they would book names every once in a while for special occasions, and they brought in they brought in guys like, you know, like Terry Funk and Jerry Lawler. And um, I was there a few times, and I saw Jerry Russell. Chris Benoit and Terry Funk wrestled Chris Benoit. So he had he had names on the show, but there was a lot of great local underneath Jersey independent talent. Um, um, even Sabu worked on those early shows. He, he came in. Um, there was Chris Candido. Um, the Headbangers 
who worked as the Spiders, who did like every show that I basically saw in Clementon or shows that Paul worked with. He had a tag team called the Super Jocks, and that's where the towel first came into to play because uh, he was supposed to play a somewhat of a sports agent, but he huh? did that. He did that type of gimmick, but he wore a backwards hat and a towel. And what he would do is he would he would take the towel and fan the guys, do the old school fan the, t- the guys gimmick. And they wrestled uh, Glenn and Chaz, who back then were working as the Spiders before they, um, you know, before they made it into the big time. But um, also on those shows were Sandman. Um, in the early Sandman gimmick, where he had the surfboard and the bodysuit, no cigarette, no beer. But those shows, <laughs> were, those shows were always fun. Um, uh, Bundy was on a lot of those shows because uh, Bundy always worked those early shows for Larry and Dennis because Larry uh, and and uh, uh, Bundy were really close friends. And Bundy was helping train at the uh, Monster Factory at the time. Uh, Mike, I was also very interested in like the the whole idea of going to do wrestling shows in all of all places, Maine. <laughs> uh, that was interesting. Um, it was around the same time Paul was going to school because he went to Syracuse, uh-huh. and. Um, even while he was in school, he would still do our shows. Uh, he would drive down and, or meet up with his friend Tim Walker, who uh, Tim's probably devastated about Paul. I haven't been able to get a hold of Tim or anything. But um, Tim was uh, is a photographer still to this day and still does uh, stuff for, like, um, the old after mags and and stuff, uh, but um, they used to drive down together, and um, he would do our shows. But he had an idea; he wanted to do some shows and some spot shows in Maine. And um, uh, Michael and I, uh, Michael O'Brien and I, went up and worked those shows in Maine. Um, had a, an interesting crew. I knew he had uh, Rick Fuller, who was an independent guy in Massachusetts. Used some guys in Massachusetts. Um, Paul even worked Moolah and Mae Young on those shows. He was in. They did the old baby bottle angle and the diaper angle, and so they had a lot of fun on those shows. The crowds, the crowds were not bad, not the greatest, but they were still good and they were still entertained by everything. But Paul worked the matches doing the baby bottle and the um the old school mid south angle with uh in the the diaper angle. So he had fun and Moolin and May Young enjoyed it. They were great they were great to work with. Uh, I'm forgive me, I don't remember the baby bottle angle. Could you enlighten? Oh Mula did something with um a baby bottle. They put him in a diaper and a baby bottle. They knocked him out. He got knocked out. He was unconscious. So then they put him in a diaper, and then they gave him a baby bottle. And they sat him in the corner, and then they smacked him in the face, and he woke up, and he was in a diaper and sucking on a baby bottle. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh God. Uh. Well, man, I I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, you know, obviously the the information you provided for Larry's article was just so invaluable, and um, uh, I am sorry. I'm sorry for your guys' loss. I didn't really know Paul Adams. I just had a couple of chance meetings with him, but I am I am sorry for your guys' loss, and I I thank you for coming on and just doing such a lovely tribute to him. Thank you. I'm gonna miss him. I actually it was um, up last week. I was thinking of him because uh, it was the 20 year anniversary of the Heroes pay per view, and I sent him a uh, a message because uh, we kept in touch. Uh, I hadn't talked to him for about maybe three to four months, um, and so I um, sent him an email and I wanted to check in on him. Check in on him. I'm sorry. And um, and then that afternoon, I heard he passed away, and I was just in shock and utter disbelief. I still couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah. And I know his I know his mom and dad because he was an only child, and I know um, his mom and dad taking it real bad. But I really, you know, I like I said, I'm still in shock and utter disbelief. I'm gonna miss him though. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mike. I mean, you know, Thanks, he's, uh, I mean, whatever the, the the solace that we can take is that, boy, that guy lived a full life. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, it doesn't doesn't sound like he left uh, any button unpushed or any rock unturned. So yeah, I, I that's know a, that, a wonderful thing. I know the last I talked to him, I knew he was um, having a lot of pain in his back and in his neck, and he was having trouble with one of his hand, one of his arms. And um, I knew he was planning on getting something taken care of, but he was just waiting for the right time, and he didn't know when he would get it done. But he always kept himself busy. I even know he was promoting boxing down at the Tennessee Fair, at the Nashville Fair. I'm sorry. Yeah. He, he told me he did a. He told me he did some boxing and promoted some boxing that did pretty well. And he always, you know. Uh, you know, kept his finger on the pulse of everything. He was a very, very smart, driven, and pushed individual guy. He would do anything for anybody to help anybody and to get things over. I mean, he, that he worked so hard at so many things. I mean, he postered flyer towns. I mean, he was, ever since he was young. So, I mean, he did everything. There's nothing that he didn't do. And, you know, I'm just still upset about everything. Mm. But thank you guys well, for the time. I do appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. Good night. Thank you. Woof. Man, oh, man, oh, man. I mean, I, you know, that, that kind of consummate hustler guy, you know, it's it's what a lot of people purport to be, but there were precious little left and he was definitely one of those. Well, yeah. Sounds like I'm I'm thinking about the diaper and the baby bottle. Um, boy, if you've been involved in wrestling for any length of time and you worked as a manager or that kind of thing, if you haven't had to do that kind of thing, then you didn't really do the damn thing. As far as I'm <laughs> so, yes, sir. So what's what's next, Larry? We've got um Saw announcer Michael Graham joining us now. Hey, Michael. Please, yes. Hey, how, how are you guys? 
Yeah, Fine. I go by either. <laughs> I've got plenty of names, plenty of aliases. So I'll answer to about anything. I appreciate you guys getting in touch tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. you. No, thank you. I mean, so, I mean, Paul Adams, well, what, how did you meet him, and what was, mm-hmm. what was your initial impressions of the man? I would have met Paul Adams uh, in 1996. I was uh, I actually at the gym I was working at at the time. I ran into uh, Mike Rapata, the Colorado kid, and uh, found out that he was in pro wrestling, and I had been in uh, trying to get into radio. I'd done a little TV and uh, wanted to always be, you know, Jim Ross or Tony Schiavone. I wanted to be a wrestling announcer. So I uh, talked to him and ended up getting, you know, just the ring announcer thing at the Nashville Armory. And I would have met Paul on the first show that I did. And I do recall, man, we became friends very quickly. We were just both uh, at a sort of uh, level uh, – you, you don't find a lot, you know, it's like unspoken jokes between us and things like that. It was, it was almost literally almost immediate when I met him and, you know, he knew that I was so into promotion and self-promotion and things like getting into radio and, and things like that, understanding advertising and things like that. And business wise, we also kind of were right hand and left hand almost uh, pretty quickly. He ended up, you know, we more than once were roommates actually, he and I, we have been very, very yeah. close for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, he's, you know, I, I was listening to your last guest. who was fantastic. It was so great to hear those stories. And, you know, I just, I, I wish I could convey how much he'll be missed, but <clears throat> how much he's left behind because he's such the glue in so many relationships. I'm talking mm-hmm. to, like, Hundreds of people must know thousands of people because Paul Adams introduced them, and they became friends because Paul Adams knew they would. Uh, I wish I, I don't know. It's it's really tough, you guys. It's really tough. um, Yeah, it's really tough. You know, I um, I always I always say that the hidden thing for like young wrestlers and young wrestling people is wrestling is social. Um, You know, a lot of the protocols are set up to force interaction because at the end of the day, it's, it's people like Paul Adams linking people together that make wrestling what it is. We, you know, we always thought, Oh, we'd be nothing without the fans and we'd be nothing without this. And all of that's true. But at the end of the day, it's guys like Paul Adams who know people who, who are the ones that ice break the ones that like, we're going to go to Maine or, you know, I'm going to do this crazy uh, thing and, and have, yeah. and have huge successes, but also huge disastrous failures, but then recover from all of it. And it's introducing this person to that person and bringing these people together. And like you said, he seemed to have, I mean, just the impression that I'm getting is he seemed to have this innate sense. You can't teach this kind of thing, right? Where he just senses this person and this person just make a good match to me. And he's like, I'm going to bring them together. And I mean, everybody's story seems to correspond with, and then he hooked me up with this person. And then that person ended up becoming my running buddy. You know, it's amazing. It's an amazing gift. You really, it's like he's the the hub of a giant spoked wheel of relationships. It really is. It's, there have got to be, I I can't even begin. I, I don't even want to guess a number of guys, girls out there that got 
where they wanted to be through him, through his switchboard operating, you know, and they, I can't even tell you. And, you know, it was great being friends with him, too, because – and I heard your previous caller say this. You, you got, he would do anything for anybody to the point it, it would yeah. actually hurt him sometimes. He really, really would. But when you were his friend, there was – man, this is – I don't want – I guess I'm going to gush a little bit, and I, I shouldn't apologize for it. When you were his yep. friend, it was kind of an honor. It was kind of like uh, the perfect example, and I've been thinking about this all damn week. Because when I heard, when I heard that he passed, um, I was at work, and it just the rest of the day was a bit of a blur, you know. And I got home, and you guys probably know Paul Adams is one. Of, if he's not the biggest Yankee fan that ever was, he's okay. <laughs> he's a huge. Huge New York Yankee fan, and I hate the Yankees with every fiber of my being. They are the bane of my existence, and it was the greatest fight between us, that Yankee thing. And Alex Rodriguez was the center of that because that's my most hated Yankee of all the hated Yankees I've ever had. And <laughs> he, would, he would go to New York, okay? He would go to New York every summer, and – do everything he could to take in at least one ball game at Yankee Stadium. And every time he went, he would take a picture of that damn A-Rod either on the field or the scoreboard and text it to me and say, greatest player of all time as the caption. He must have done that seriously five times to me, man. And I'd just, you know, I'd send back a whatever, some whirlwind of cuss words. But, you know, you, you just heard the fellow before me speaking to you guys, and I was there and was introduced to so many cool people because of Paul. I know his friend network. I know the people he knew. And to think that he was sitting there in that stadium and was thinking of me in that moment is like a big deal. And that's the best way I can tell you how important. Yeah, man. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's, it's yeah. a big deal. When, when somebody that's that important to so many people consider you at least that important and that that's a big deal and and, and i'm gonna kind of miss him like absolutely yeah. crazy man um you know he's just i'm gonna miss him like crazy you know? I, yeah I, it's something mm-hmm. else so you you worked for him as so what are the capacities you worked with paul mm-hmm. with so an announcer <laughs> what else did you do because i mean I, it's never one thing right Whatever he would ask me to do, and it went from, oh, guys, man, I was there the night. You know, we had in SAW, which was maybe the most fun I have ever had in my life, Mm. for the most part. Of course, there were very difficult moments, but, man, I just – it was just so, so much fun, so much fun. And so it felt worthwhile to kind of push something that we believed in, you know, Paul and I, and we were Mm -hmm. really, you know – I was always right there, man, doing what, and like I said, I do about anything. And, uh, yeah, I was, you know, I don't know if you remember, we had a security guy named Big Dollar for a while. And Paul Adams and I were out at McFadden's Club on 2nd Avenue in Nashville one evening, just enjoying the evening because we did such things. And um, we saw a, a, you know, a little person that was in the corner, and Paul looked at me, and he goes, dude, that guy's got to work for us. And I looked at him and I said, I said, well, let's go talk to him. 
And before the night was over, that guy had our number. I think Paul might have already given him like an advance. And uh, he was named Half Dollar to go with the Big Dollar. That was the guy on the security team. So, yeah, man. I mean, it was, you know, it was that oh. kind of thing all the time. It was just the best. And I did. I, I worked as his, you know, I worked as the announcer on SAW and I took complete and utter direction from him, you know, um, would uh, help set up and break down. You know, I'm not going to say that I swept the ring exactly, but, you know, I would help before and after the shows, um, even at the stadium in, wow, and things like that, you know. Um, we were just – Hey man, uh, in the NAW days when when I was working with him with for Burt Prentice, I should say, uh, yeah. we actually would get done with a show on a Thursday night, and we would drive to the it was a TV studio, but it was in a house that was over on the east side of Nashville, and we would we would drive there and put together that we wouldn't sleep that evening. We would take the raw footage in, put the tape together, and then have a show ready to take to the CW network to air on Saturday morning because they had to have it like 24 hours in advance or something. Oh, so yeah. That's the only way you could do it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. And the famous, we, you know, the famous episode that um, Tommy Wildfire Rich bled so much we had to put it in black and white. We, that, was, oh. that was our thing. We had the episode where I wasn't there, quote, unquote, and Paul Adams and the flamboyant Farron Fox, who I love so much so dearly, he, they took over the studio, and it was seriously – if that exists anywhere, you have to find that. It's riotously funny, those two uh, <laughs> just clowning about, um, you know. And then you think of Paul and all those great skits he did with David Young on SAW, yeah. and I feel so, so much for David Young because yeah. that was a – those two, uh, a special relationship, man. And, I, and I'm very, very that, – that, that hurts my heart to think that's over because those two were – uh, and they're both great uh, people. I just, yeah. you know, it's just tough. <laughs> just tough. You know. Well, man, just tough. I, I can't, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I know I could hear in your voice how difficult this was yeah. for you, but, but I, I think you really did Paul proud. And clearly, um, I, 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 you gave me a complete picture of what it was like to be friends with Paul Adams, and um, what yeah. a wonderful tribute to the man. And um, um, sorry for your loss, of course, but man, the stories. You, Thank you. Oh my God, I was. <laughs> oh God, I could sit here for I don't even know how much longer. It's it's hard to even make it. You know, to think of a specific moment. It's really just more mm-hmm. just happy to, you know, hurt so much because you you love so much, you know that kind yeah. of thing. And 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 it, so it's cool. And this was a bit cathartic as well. So I appreciate you guys letting me come on here and blubber a little bit. Thank you. Absolutely, and just now, whenever you see Alex Rodriguez for the rest of your life, you can. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, it, that was already a thing, man. I, that was already a thing. I was reaching for my phone, and even Alex Rodriguez is doing the studio show for these playoffs, and I'm like, this freaking guy. Oh, Paul Adams loves this guy. <laughs> Thank you, hey Larry. It's great. It's great to hear from you. I'm sorry about the circumstances, but I'm glad to hear you're uh, doing good too, man. Thank awesome. you. You too. You too. <laughs> All right. You guys have a great rest of your night. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Fucking awesome. Awesome. You know, and, that, uh, uh, yeah. I, I, we've got a couple folks waiting, but I want to mention, you know, that that sawmill building that they taped in in Millersville 
was something else. I mean, Dan Masters was not exaggerating. The place was a bakery. It had been a bakery, and somehow <laughs> they made it into a TV studio out of this bakery. And it was the, the dressing room uh, made the upstairs dressing room in Porterdale look luxurious. Um, I mean, it, 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 it was, I couldn't believe they could cram those people in there. It was so small, that dressing room they had in that place. And then there was the night they did the angle where Mark Anthony literally, they, I don't know how they did this, but he chainsawed his way into the building from the back for TV. Um, that was, that was pretty wild. That was some pretty wild stuff they came up with there. But that was, that was quite a place. I miss. I, that was a special place to go to watch wrestling. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got um, we got David on the line. Awesome. Please, yes. David. What's up, are you guys? There? Yes. Hey, hey David. David. I've been listening to all the stories, man. It's, it's so awesome to hear he touched so many people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't help, but I mean, I I remember whenever Larry would report about the Saw shows and things like that, I, I I just remember thinking to myself, like, this is so crazy. I mean, never did when Larry wrote about stuff, I would generally not go out of my way to check it out because I was doing my own thing. And so, you know, you kind of have this competition thing, even though it makes no sense, right? Where it's like, why would I go look at that fucking show? You know, like blah blah blah. Right. But then, like, it, it was it, it was the description of anything that you and Paul did together, and I was like. Fuck! Like, <laughs> I got like, there's no way it's that funny, or there's no way it's that crazy. And then I would watch you it know, and I'd it go like, never Yeah. That funny if we had anything planned, like he would send me like a four page, <laughs> and I would read it, and I would say, Oh well, fuck! I'm never gonna say this. <laughs> I not it, so I would just show up, and he'd say, You got your script? And I was like, Yeah, hey, we're not gonna say that today, Paul. <laughs> so bad. It would be livid that I just didn't even bother to read his script. And then we would go out there and just play off of each other and just tear everything down, and it was just amazing. He was so funny. You know, I cried for four days. Like, I literally have cried for four days. And he would be so mad at me for crying over him because he would expect me to make fun of him for dying first. I mean, he really would. I mean, he would want me to make fun of him for going first. Because he sent me a eulogy that he was going to read at my funeral, and it had pause in it for applause that I was dead. <laughs> I woke up one day. We lived in the same complex in uh, Nashville, and we used to text each other every day because we were on opposite sides of the uh, complex. And he would literally say to me, don't make me walk down there and whip your ass. <laughs> Every day, knowing that neither one of us was going to go out the door and actually walk down that place because it was too far to walk. <laughs> Literally every day. I woke up one day, and there was knocking on the door, and I opened the door, and it was the police with the neighbor. And the neighbor was like, man, somebody in a station wagon pulled up and threw baloney all over your car. <laughs> I said, yeah, I just needed baloney, guys. It's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> 
and then the tank war started. That was a fucking nightmare. I mean, literally, I walked down there with the cat litter box, and I dumped the whole thing of cat litter in front of his door. And he thought the apartment complex had put something in front of his door to keep him from slipping on the ice. So he <laughs> walked through all the cat shit and gets in his car and gets it all in his car. He was so mad about that. God, he was mad for weeks. <laughs> I mean, we just used to do things to taunt each other constantly, and then the Facebook stuff alone was just a nightmare. I still get stuff that comes back on my Facebook every day, and I look at it, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, did I really say that? <laughs> <laughs> But if you know him, you know he provoked me to say something that bad. (laughs) (laughs) I've literally lost the best friend I'll ever have in this lifetime. I I literally have. Mm. I can't can't even put it into words how big the loss is. But, I mean, I refuse to be sad now. Like, I can't do that for him. And he wouldn't be sad. I mean, I really don't think he would. I mean – because there's just too many good stories between me and him. That yeah. I can tell. I mean, I'm the only person, and this is pretty much how we met, is we would get fired within the same time periods from dirt. We <laughs> <laughs> fire me and bring Paul in, and then fire Paul and bring me back in, and we would keep missing each other. And then Paul had heard that I was the only person in the history of Burt Prentice's shows to show up four hours early and still miss the show. <laughs> he just had to meet me after that. <laughs> when did you when did you realize that you and Paul were like I mean that you just clicked? When do, is there a moment where you were like, you know what? This this is my motherfucker right here. Like when was that moment? <laughs> I don't even remember how it started. Like we started the A team. He literally brought me in to be the problem solver for his the A team. And okay. the vignettes just clicked once I mean the first time we did one, it was just hilarious. And then and there's so many things that didn't make it to T V because the editor sucked and he would lose the say, lose the tapes and stuff like that. We filmed one in Nashville. It may be the most humiliating one I've done where Paul had wanted to celebrate us getting a win over Chase Stevens. And he told me to go get a couple of suits from the costume shop. He said, women love a man in uniform, Dave, so get the – and then you hear the Saturday Night Fever music, and me and him walk around the corner on Broad Street in Nashville on a Saturday night, and you know how crowded that can be. And when we walk around <laughs> the corner, we're both wearing sailor suits with sailor hats. Oh. Down the street filming this, and we're pointing around and waving at people like we're running for president. It was the funniest thing I've ever saw in my entire life. We literally had to keep stopping just to laugh at each other. <laughs> speaking, we speaking of laughing, David, what, what, what did you think when he pitched the? Uh, when he pitched the, I assume that he pitched you the muscle suit idea, or was that your idea? No, actually, it was my idea, and I'll tell you exactly how it happened. We were at a show. And we showed up early, like really early. I don't even know why. And it was right around Halloween. And uh, they were selling costumes at the show. And I walked over and I saw the muscle suits and I picked it off the off the, the rack and I walked over to Pa and said, can I wear this tonight? And he stopped and he turned his head really, really slow and he got his face really close to mine and he goes, 
Would you? (laughs) (laughs) And a year and a half later, he actually let me take it off. It took a year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that muscle suit was the greatest thing ever, though, because it was just. The bad part about the muscle suit is when I would sweat, it would get it would weigh like seventy pounds by the time I got out of the ring. But I mean, it was just instant heat, instant heat. And then we did the thing at the slaughterhouse, which is just oh, us ad living. We had no plans or anything when we got there. We just filmed it as we went along. You're kidding? That was all. That was ad lib. That whole thing. Every bit of it. Yeah, there was no script. There was nothing. That was just us playing off each other. That is up on the internet, Steve. If you've if you've never seen it, the 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 uh, rest in peace for Old Blue. The the muscle suit is is must viewing. Yeah, because we did the muscle suit like it was a person. Paul was my life coach, and he was trying to make me have more self confidence. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was mm. the best. I was just actually on the phone with Reno Riggins right before this. Uh, he's gonna, they're working on a memorial thing for Paul in a couple of weeks mm. in Nashville. And I don't have any details yet, but he said he's definitely working on it. Mm. That's amazing. Um, you have no idea David, some of the funny stuff that he's done. Yeah. David, what's something about Paul that, I mean, since you were so close to him, what's something about him or a side of him that you got to see that he usually didn't show other people? Uh, let me think. I mean, <laughs> there were so many different sides to Paul. We did a yeah. for the NBA one time. We did the NBA one, and he was really, really big into that. Like, uh, Michelle, uh, she used to come to the shows all the time, and she was part of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. And she did the MDA walk, and we actually went and did the walk with them that day. And we had a really good time, and he got me that day. I mean, they uh, made shirts for us to wear because we were on Michelle's team. And he told them that I wear a small, you know, even though I'm like 260 pounds. So I had like a T-shirt that come up over my belly. It looked like I was wearing a tank top. The whole time I'm there, we get in there and we start doing the walk, and me and Paul tried to cheat and treat it like a race. And we tried to cut across the rink at the the uh, Preds Hockey Arena, and we went across the ice, and both of us were so damn crippled up, we couldn't make it across the ice, and we lost. <laughs> Actually tried to cheat. <laughs> I still have tons of pictures from that. I mean, I could send you tons of them of him, me in that tight-ass pink shirt and Paul. I think I took a picture of him standing next to a cornhole sign with an arrow pointing at him or something like that with that pink shirt on. But he was the best, man. I can't I – can't, I mean, I can say a million bad things about him. Don't get me wrong, and I have. <laughs> you sure have. Really yeah, he was really my best friend. I mean, I couldn't ask for a better friend than him. I remember I went through a breakup, and he called me, and he said, I don't want you to talk. I don't want to hear your problems. I just want you to know this bitch never deserved you. And that's the end of this story. And he hung up. That was it. That's all I got. 
Fucking microwave therapy by ball. It's like we're gonna skip. We're gonna skip six stages of grief here. (laughs) We're just gonna gonna get to the revelation and moving on. Fucking great. We don't want to hear any more about this. This is the last time we'll speak of it. But he's just the best man. I mean. I used to make fun of him for working for the fair, and I used to tell him he was like screaming for the yak woman and pixie dust spreader at the tilt world and shit like that. And then he started working for the Nashville Sound, so I started calling him baseball fetcher, where he had to go out and fetch him. <laughs> <laughs> or foul ball fetcher. That's another one I used to use on him too. David, have but, you been in touch yeah. with him recently? How, 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 what kind of what was your your recent interactions uh, with him, like a couple of weeks ago, I, to be honest with you, he called me and he wanted uh, Santel called me first, and uh, they're shutting down uh, the hotel that we used to film at. What was the name of it? Uh, something Inn. The Stadium Inn. We used to the Stadium Inn. They uh, they're going to implode it. Good. Tear it down. Uh, Santel wanted me and Paul to get together with him and go film us going to watch them implode the building. <laughs> <laughs> and we were going to try to make it to where we were actually going to go try to spend the night at the hotel and when we got there the building just collapsed <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he called. He actually called me a couple of weeks ago just to talk to me about that and all the plans he had for it and now I guess it will never come to pass yeah yeah, yeah I mean we talked all the time. I mean, he would just call me. Anytime we thought of something funny, we would call each other. I'm the, uh, This happened on Christmas one year. Uh, I started drinking, and Paul was in New York with his family. And uh, Gary Douglas, do you know him? He was a fan that used to come to the shows, and Paul used to love torturing him on Facebook. <laughs> and I started drinking, and I put up a picture of Lyle Lovett and Gary Douglas side by side. They look just alike, but Gary does (laughs) And this, all of a sudden, he texts Paul and cursed Paul out because I put up the picture. And Paul said, I'm in church with my family. (laughs) And Paul texted me and he said, this may be the greatest thing you've ever done. He said, you've got me and you blocked, and I'm in church. (laughs) Nobody else could ever make this happen. So this day I'm blocked off of his Facebook. I I just when you said Lyle Lovett, I just figured out who you meant. The guy who Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is there a better endorsement that he looks like him <laughs> that's what that's what triggered Larry's memory? <laughs> I know. I know. I knew I was dead on with it when I put it up there. Yeah. The truth is, everybody wants the truth until you give it to them, Larry. <laughs> oh, but, golly. I mean, we did so many funny things, man. And him and Reno were funny together, too. I mean, Reno Riggins may be one of the funniest guys I know also. Yeah. Paul has always had this story. And I've stolen this story a million times and told it like it was me and Paul because I don't want to let a little thing like the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> yeah. 
But Paul and Reno were uh, at a restaurant one day, and uh, uh, Vince Gill walked into the restaurant. And as soon as Vince Gill came into the restaurant, Reno yelled, Vinny, Vinny. And he jumps up, and he walks over and shakes his hand and starts talking to him. And he's like, Paul, stop being rude. Come say hey to Vinny. And Paul gets up, walks over, and talks to him for a second. And he's like, well, guys, I've got a to-go order, and i got to get back home to the wife. Uh, it's really good seeing you again, and shakes Reno's hand. And Paul said him and Reno walked back to the table and sat down, and he said Reno just starts eating his food, and he said, I'll ask. How do you know Vince Gill? And said Reno looked up and goes, oh, I don't know Vince Gill. I just knew for a matter of fact that Vince Gill didn't know for sure if he knew me or not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can see Reno doing that. <laughs> oh, God. We were in a bar one night, and Chase Stevens got in a fight. I know you're shocked. And, uh, <laughs> no shit. It was literally one of those things where uh, it was the same thing always. Chase punched the guy one time, and the guy was unconscious. Right. And the guy landed on Paul. Like Paul literally caught him and went down with him. And while he's laying there, Paul pulled a saw business card out of his pocket and stuck it in the guy's shirt pocket and then got up all of the Good you're a you're a hell of a worker, kid. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> take a punch, come work with us. He was awesome, guys. I can't tell you enough stories about Paul because, I mean, I have a million of them. Yeah, he was a he was a great he he was a great storyteller. He he just he loved to tell stories. One of the best, and he was so clever. Like, I mean, he really was. I mean, he was probably one of the most clever people I knew, which aggravated me to no end because I have to work (laughs) at it. He was just clever, but. Yeah, we literally got so deep under each other's skin that we wanted to choke each other most days. But we would keep calling each other. It just never stopped. <laughs> he was literally yeah. at like 3 in the morning to make sure I was asleep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> literally answered the phone. He'd be like, I just wanted to make sure you were sleeping okay, buddy. Talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh my god man so great david i was you know i was telling larry you know because like 35 40 minutes ago or before the show went on you know larry was talking and he was like you know uh, he's like bert listened but then he hung up and i don't know if he was upset or he just couldn't do it and then he's like and i haven't heard from david and i can hear how how upset Larry was that he hadn't heard. Cause I, I mean, it wouldn't have been, it would have really not been an adequate tribute to Paul Adams, not to diminish any of the guests or anything, but I, like you're his best friend, you clearly. And uh, I'm so glad that you called. I, I really am. And um, I think it's just a wonderful thing uh, that you and Paul have. It's just so unique. It can never be, recaptured it's so unique and it's so special and wonderful and i mean i can't thank you enough for calling in for this because it's it's just been a delight it's just been really wonderful you know 
Well, it's not a problem at all. I mean, anytime I can talk about him, I definitely will. Yeah. Like I said, he was my best friend, and uh, I'll never have another friend like him, ever. I mean, I don't think I'll ever be as close to anybody as I was him. And It happened gradually. It wasn't like we just woke up one day and said, you want to be best friends? I mean, you know, it's yeah, you, you, you guys had had, had, a, had a unique chemistry, you two guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it just kept getting better and better and better. Every time we were around each other, we were always plotting against somebody else. Um, we were just always look, always. looking for a way to make Yes, yes. Like Doogie, we used to love that we could go on Doogie's Facebook and take over his entire page. <laughs> Nobody had talked to Doogie anymore. They were just talking to us. And it used to drive him insane. He had me blocked for a long time, too. <laughs> but, I mean, we would do that to people constantly. We just loved the fact that we could go on somebody's Facebook and just take over the entire page and start a big fight and then leave. And they're sat there with 5,000 comments from people that hate them. We were constant at heels. I mean, we were constantly just looking for ways to get under people's skin. <laughs> oh man! Well, David, I know. Uh, on somebody, we would literally call each other, and I'd be like, "Guess what happened to so and so?" And he'd go, "Oh, this is gonna kill him! I can't wait." <laughs> <laughs> I will neither confirm nor deny that I have similar relationships with people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But so uh, I, I'm going to try my best to be at his funeral Friday or his uh, service Friday. I'm going to try really hard. Yeah. And uh, hopefully get to say goodbye. Absolutely. It's going to be in New York. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Reno uh, sent me the information for the funeral. I put it up on my Facebook wall. Okay. Okay. Um, cool. And I'll and, be looking for that yeah, information about the the memorial in Nashville then to follow. Yes. Uh, Reno and uh, Jason James are working on that as we speak. Great. Great. Well, David, uh, again, I just can't thank you enough. And uh, of course, I'm, no, I'm thank sorry you guys for having me. I really, for your needed loss, this. I really needed this this week. I mean, I really did. I needed to talk about it. It was amazing. I mean, I can't, this show, if somebody had said, you know, what's what's your biggest belly laugh's going to be? It certainly would have been the memorial show, for, but it is. I mean, I'm, I'm laughing and I'm crying. And, and, you know, the best thing about your relationship with Paul is I think there's a number of people listening that can go like, either they have a relationship that's somewhat similar, no, nothing can quite capture you and Paul's oh, relationship, but I think there, there are people who can kind of see themselves in it a little bit, and then there's the people that wish they had it. So I'm glad yeah, you got to have it. Um, it's wonderful. Definitely. I mean, yeah, he, like I said, I'll never have another friend like him. Like he was literally every day plotting. On, <laughs> we got pleasure from each other's displeasure. <laughs> <laughs> if we weren't making the other one miserable, we weren't happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> he used to tell me, he'd be like, Hey, call me at three o'clock, and I'd call him at three o'clock, and he'd send me the voicemail, and then all of his voicemails would be full, and that would just piss me off to no end. I'd be like, "Oh, he's nice, and I'm going to make a Facebook status about this really quick." 
mean, he just did little things that got to you constantly. Yeah. Uh, there was this one time, and I still have a picture of the store. I took a picture of the store. Uh, he was at an ATM. <laughs> he said that uh, there was a line behind him, and he was trying to check his balance first and that people were getting aggravated. And he said he tried to fart just to make the people behind him mad. And said when he did, he'd been taking antibiotics and shit shot down both of his legs. <laughs> he said, "He said, Dave, this was extreme for even me." <laughs> he had his leg in the bathroom. He cleaned himself up with his underwear. <laughs> well, one thing about you guys, when when it came to doing stuff for the show, you would go to there were there was you would stop at nothing. You were willing to look so ridiculous, if, whatever whatever it took, whatever it took, you would be ridiculous. Well, I worked for TNA for seven years, and I lost pride years ago. Oh my God. But, the last thing that he ever said to me, he texted me. He said, I don't need you to put this on Facebook, but I was walking out of Walgreens, and I tripped and hit my head on a garbage dumpster and got a concussion and had to go to the hospital. <laughs> I don't even know what happened. I was going hiking that day, and there was this old person with a walker wearing a plastic bicycle helmet while they were walking with the uh, – with the uh, <laughs> while they were walking with the walker. And I took a picture of him, and I, I texted him. I said, hey, are you in Cleveland, Tennessee right now? And he texted me back and said, no. And I sent him that picture. I said, it must be some other retard. They put a fucking bicycle on <laughs> those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, his joke. That was the worst part. He texted Doogie one night. And he said, uh, hey, are you walking down Broad Street? Because the hockey game was letting out. And he said, no. He said, oh, must be another faggot in a Flyers jersey. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Constant with us. I mean, we were constantly doing things like that to each other and to other people. I'm going to really miss that. Well, well, David, thanks so much for calling in, and I'm glad this was good for you. Thank you so much. I needed, like I said, I needed to laugh. So I, I really appreciate yeah. you guys having me. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you, All right, David. Buddy. All right, yeah, man. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. We, I, I think we've got um, Scott Please. Hensley yeah. holding on to um, – who's been holding on patiently. Dude, but before I bring him on, if you'll hold on patiently for a second longer, do you remember the night that uh, – Paul Adams came to the 20 year to PCW with me. Vaguely remind me though. So well, he came with, he came with Vordell and yeah, first they were, they were in what, what I remember about it is not so much the show. What, what I remember, well, one thing is that he liked the Washington bullets and he wanted to book them. Um, the other thing, Which what I remember did, was the, right. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's right. He did. And then, but they mm-hmm. were at this. He and Vordell were staying at this this dive hotel called the Decatur Inn. Oh I mean, God! Place, yes, they had. So I go the over there to meet Decatur. him to come over to the show, and 
they're in this. I'm thinking, why the hell? Of all the places to choose to stay, the Decatur Inn, right by that cemetery there, it was. The room smelled. Terrible. And they were they were shooting yeah. a, a a promo and they were shooting a video of of, of stuff about Fordell in there. I thought, what a setting to do this in. Anyway, that's just what I remember about that. That's what I remember about his trip <laughs> to PCW. I know he liked the show though. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it was nutty, so <laughs> you know I had that special bond. So um, you know I'm I'm actually glad. I mean I know. Please bring Scott Hensley on. I know Scott's gonna yeah. be like, man, I gotta follow David Young. But I I yeah. actually think it's very appropriate that Scott Hensley closes it out with us. So well, please. Yes, sir. How you doing, Scott? Hey, how's it going, guys? I've really enjoyed hearing all the the Paul stories, and I can relate to some of them, but not not as personal as uh, as Doogie and David. And yes, what, why in the world would you bring me on after David Young? <laughs> well, I, you know, I I was just gonna say I I think why it's appropriate is because your story with Paul is I I mean I and I want to hear it, you know, like how he basically started you in pro wrestling or what that capacity was but now you're you're the guy who helps give other people a boost and a start and you know publicizes them so i mean what what's it what a better tribute to paul than the people that he touched goes on and sort of expands his work and there's the baby there's the there's more of your work that's growing up and expanding as well that we can hear so um so scott did he was that the first show that you worked for was a paul adams show or what was the what was it at that time i'd already done uh alabama and some local chattanooga stuff like nwa chattanooga but i hadn't really branched outside of that and so we had a local guy that was a referee, and I was buddies with a guy named Christian Haim, uh, who was working for Paul up in Nashville. And Christian said, hey, I'm going to work Ricochet this weekend. And I said, hey, I'm going to buy a ticket to watch you work Ricochet this weekend. And so uh, being from Middle Tennessee, uh, like it's no big deal for me just to drive up there. And uh, then I realized that uh, or in talking to my buddy – who was a referee, it was uh, Graham Long. He was an Empire referee. And, uh, sorry, I'm out of breath. I'm carrying my baby son around trying to entertain him. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> in, uh, in working with, uh, with Graham Long, uh, he said, hey, my girlfriend lives up in Nashville, and she's never seen me referee. And I said, hey, let me get Paul's number, and I'll give him a call and see if he needs a referee because in working on shows, I realize how good a referee or how valuable and rare a good referee can be sometimes. And so especially yeah. one that just wants to work for the opportunity. And so I called Paul, and he said, yeah. He goes, I could use a referee. He goes, I also need a ring announcer. And so it was just like fate, and uh, it was it was a great relationship. Uh, I went up there, and uh, you know I was going to pay – to, to watch his show and now all of a sudden uh you know i worked and we, we didn't talk money so like i was about to leave and uh he goes hey he goes hang around and uh so i waited a few minutes and then uh he came over handed me money and he said uh would you like to be my ring announcer going forward i said sure and he gave me some dates <laughs> and, <laughs> and from there on out like uh 
we I got to work at the uh, Tennessee State Fairgrounds, which you know I grew up going to TNA there. I grew up uh, watching you know some Burke shows there and stuff, and it, it meant a lot to me to get to go and do shows in that building. And uh, we did the old Hickory Community Center, and I got to work with guys like Luke Gallows and Chase Stevens that I grew up watching, and um, of course. Uh, I got to watch uh, Ricochet, and uh, he actually worked uh, Vordell Walker in a match where the ring broke, and so they just ran around and, like, jumped off of everything in that building. It was it was awesome. But uh, Paul was – he was more than just, like, a boss. He was a mentor, and it really yeah. – it really helped me to, uh, to see what guys valued. Uh, you know, he had guys traveling in from, like – uh, Maryland and some different places like one of those guys is Brandon Scott uh, who is uh, he's worked for WWE several times now but um, I think he won one of the big Northeastern tournaments but um, Paul would just bring all these guys in that were just young hungry guys and then he would pair them up with like established names like James Storm and you know local guys like Gallows and um, he would have yeah. guys like Sean Schultz and the Washington Bullets and Vordell, and it was just, uh, it, was, it was great. And, and he also was a guy that would teach guys stuff. Like, I got to watch him sit and teach the Tate Twins how to do promos. I mean, it was, it was a unique experience. Yeah, man. I mean, those guys that can kind of, kind of, I mean, he could do it all. And he was very free and effusive with, his opportunities given. And, and I mean, it's, it's one thing for certain shows. I see shows all the time where like, yeah, we help guys out all the time, but there's shows that tend to not matter. But the fact that he was so prominent made it all the more amazing how open he was to things. I don't, I mean, I don't know if we're going to see his like again, honestly. I mean, Larry, with your repeated contact with him over the years, did he change into that guy or was he just always that guy who just was like, you know, he was just the sort of center of the storm, you know, the ringmaster type. Was that always how he was? Well, I mean, it changed because of the change in his role. Um, it just, it yeah. just sort of growed, grew and expanded over the years because, you know, he was doing all that stuff in the Northeast. But when he first came to Nashville, he just he was just a uh, man ringside manager, but it didn't take long before he was doing commentary. And you heard uh, you know Doogie talk about they would they were then putting together the TV, and you know you know it didn't take long for Bert to see what his abilities were and, and begin to have him doing all kinds of things. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Scott, did you do the Knoxville stuff with uh, for Paul and Marquez? I can't remember. Yes, Paul brought me out there, and uh, that was an adventure. Like that, that could be like a, a six <laughs> series tipping point. Like it was, it was a mess, but it was a lot of fun at the same time. Uh, I, I will give one funny story. So um, yes, at the fairgrounds, uh, like Paul had the, I guess the deal with the fairgrounds to bring shows there, and uh, so he brought in Psychosis, which is like Psychosis Two. This was not WCW Psychosis. But he okay. brought in a bilingual ring announcer also, and uh, this guy was, like, completely TV-ready. He was bilingual. He was, like, the most professional guy I've ever seen, and I told, asked Paul, I was like, hey, that guy's really good. And uh, or Paul would always ask me, he's like, what do you think about that, or what do you, what do you think about this guy? 
And uh, he goes, what do you think about that ring announcer guy there? I was like, yeah, he's really good. I said, why am I here? He goes, oh, uh, because you're cheap and you know what you're doing. (laughs) 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 So I don't know how much he paid that guy or uh, what that guy's wrestling interests were, but uh, I had the competitive advantage there apparently. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Paul. <laughs> that sounds like Tennessee too. <laughs> yeah. Mm, mm, mm. There was another incident that I brought up where, uh, so there was a group of Derek King Enterprises where it was uh, Derek King, yes. Drew Haskins, and they had uh, Sister Ophelia with them, which was this lady that had a big pregnant belly. And uh, as I posted about it on Facebook, like she kayfabe that thing like crazy. Like there were workers on the show that asked her how far along she was. But like <laughs> I, I had seen her pull the belly out before. And then somebody pointed out, they were like, well, we, we took a hiatus. They were like, and your belly's the same size. They were like, what are you going to say? And Paul goes, oh, oh, just, just don't say that you're still pregnant. Just say you're pregnant again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he was yeah. so quick-witted like that. Mm-hmm. Oh. Love oh, it. God. Sister Ophelia, I forgot all about that. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> So, Scott, Scott, what was um, was it your interactions with Paul? Like, when you think back to what made you want to go from being a ring announcer to to r- running your own show, really? Like that—that's what you're doing. Um, did, did, does your interactions with Paul make you think that that was possible? Even I mean, because it had to seem just crazy. I mean, you went from a guy who was here. I'm going to buy a ticket to the show. Now you're ring announcing for the show. Now you're ring announcing for all the shows. I mean, at what point did you yourself go, you know what, I kind of want to run a thing, and I think I can run a thing. What was the what was the spark for that? Well, it was always something that I wanted to do growing up. Like, there was a time yeah. when for a career day at school when I was in high school, like, I called <laughs> Burt Prentice to do a paper on, like, what I wanted to do. <laughs> wrestling related. It was all related to wrestling, I promise. Uh but yeah. uh, <laughs> so, uh <laughs> but uh you know my my wrestling dads were really like uh Ace Rockwell and uh Will mm-hmm. Owens in uh Alabama and then uh Dan Wilson in Chattanooga and then Paul up in Nashville. But yeah. I just I got to sit under their learning trees and you know it's so hard now like those guys had so much experience and now you look at shows and it's like the veteran on the show is 30 years old yeah but yeah. and and the guy running the show may be 25 years old yeah mhm so i, I mean i, I feel so fortunate to, to work with those guys yeah i mean i i always joked when i would be in other people's locker rooms i'm like not only am I the oldest person here, I'm like, I'm also the tallest guy on the roster. <laughs> I feel you. And I was like, wrestling's a different thing. But, uh, but Matt, Scott, I, I thank you so much uh, for coming on. I just think this was such a – Larry, I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to break kayfabe or whatever. 
did you imagine 45 minutes before we went on that this was the show that we were going to have at all? No, I'm so I'm. Thank you to all the yeah. people who called in and made this so good. Yeah, yeah, I, I really, yeah. really, really appreciate it. So great. Thank you so much, Scott. Um, it's a really you, wonderful guys. way to end up the show. So thank you. That's great. Well, this was our this was our tribute to Paul Adams, uh, consummate carny <laughs> consummate i mean he's a real wrestling person and uh, I, I, God. just just hearing all the stories and stuff i mean i feel at a loss in the sense that it's like god <laughs> there's just so few guys like that and there's no really nobody like him from the sounds of it and um of course our hearts go out to all the people feeling the loss about Paul and um, you know, Larry's going to keep you in touch as far as where the tributes are happening, both in Tennessee and New York and, and other things that are going to go on. If, if they put on that tribute show, uh, we'll have all of that information, of course, on Georgia wrestling history, but yeah, thank you to all the yeah. guests um, tonight and, I, and Larry yeah, as well. I hope this show gave people a little bit of sense about how special Paul was and, um, you know, he, he was a very cool guy. And, uh, he, he, as, as, you know, Scott pointed out, I mean, there aren't those kind of guys around or not too many of them. Like when, when, by the time that Scott met Paul, he was what, 17, 18 years experience in the business and had done all these worked all yeah. these different places, done all these different things. And yeah, wrestling needs guys like that. Um, and these guys who have, I mean, <laughs> have a mind like that. <laughs> I mean, it's when wrestling was wrestling and Paul was a wrestling guy. And I don't know yeah. if that's the greatest tribute or the greatest insult you can give somebody nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but he was that guy. And uh, again, thank you to all the guests. Um, thank you to the people who listened and thank you, Paul Adams. I mean, you brought so many people together and people continue to make wrestling a better thing um and that's because of him um, it's a wonderful thing uh, he made a difference you know that's all you can hope for in this life is that you you leave it a little bit better than where you found it and paul clearly did that within his circle of influence so here here um this has been thanks yes sir but uh, this has been tipping point thank you to scott hensley who's still on the air with us um larry goodman and i'm Stephen platinum and we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks thank you We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.